0: Watch it wrong.
1: And welcome back to part 3 of You Awarded It Wrong 2020 Oscar Edition We join Wade and Siggy Already still talking from 4.30 in the morning The last time From the last part You know, you know just, they're, just, they're still going
0: Alright Best Actress! We're getting to the big ones! Big ones, the folks! Big ones, folks! Home stretch, best actress. And the nominees are Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andra Day, the United States versus Billy Holiday. Vanessa Kirby, pieces of a woman. Frances McDormand, Nomad Land. And Carrie Mulligan, promising young woman. Alright, who do you think's gonna win? This
1: is a toughie. I kind of feel like Frances McDormand pretty much is probably the one that's going to
0: win. I don't think it's a toughie. I think it's Frances McDormand in a walk. <laughs> I think it's such a such a such a powerful performance. She does so much by, like, saying nothing. <laughs> like it's
1: it's a toughie in the sense that there's no weak performance in this in
0: this group. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I I I love Frances McDormand. I love her. I love her. I love her. I'm partial to Davis in Bob Rainey's Black Bottom, even though she mm. isn't. She doesn't carry the movie in the way that Frances McDormand does. She doesn't
0: show up until... To the
1: point where you think she should be a supporting nomination, in a way. Yeah.
0: And she doesn't have an arc. She doesn't have a change that she goes through. But she is such a force. She is.
1: And she presents her dilemmas and uh, how the world affects her so... She crystallizes them so well. And basically shows how a diva, someone who everyone would see would be a diva, the very practical, very real, and very empathetic reasons why she would act that way. It, it was very hard for me to deny. That took me over more, I have to say, than No Man Land did. But um,
0: it's a very strong performance. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I'm not sure it's a lead. Uh, I'm not sure. Not sure it's a lead role. Um, yeah. I'm not sure it's a lead okay. role either. Yeah. Well, my number five is Jesse Buckley from I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I talked extensively about that in our previous episode. Um, And then my number five is Elizabeth Moss from Shirley. She's really good. Number four for me is Kristen Milioti from Palm Springs. I talked a lot about how much I loved her performance in our Palm Springs episode.
1: Yeah. By the way, best actresses, we're very sorry we're giving you the short shrift. We're just, it's 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) I'm trying to run through My number four is, uh, Yasna Durekcik. I'm so sorry. I'm messing up your name. Yasna Durekcik from QVDs Ada.
0: For reasons I mentioned already on the podcast. Uh, My number three is Sydney Flanagan from Never Rarely Sometimes Always, where she, she says so much by doing so little, um... She she just drew me in, and I was just right there with her. to the whole thing. I thought it was a great, great restrained performance. Um, My number three is one that I kept
1: thinking I should boot out, and I just couldn't bear to do it. And that's Kristen Miliote from Palm Springs. Mm. It's her movie, and she carries it, and she does it with humor and depth, and it's amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, She reaches out the screen. Uh, my number two is Elizabeth Moss for Shirley. Uh, almost Oscar bait <laughs> material. Yeah. Very surprised that she didn't get a nomination. Um, but then I didn't see all of these roles, so I don't know who should be bumped for her. Well, Carrie Mulligan, because I didn't put her in my top five. Uh, or by the names, Oh, because oh, Carrie Mulligan is my number two. Oh,
1: I mean, I mean, this is she seems to be in perfect lockstep with her director. It's like she's an extension of her in a way that I've rarely seen. So it's it's really gorgeous. Um,
0: she was very good. I kind of put her in a sack with um, Margot Robbie in Birds of Prey. Like I I liked both of their performances a lot in kind of similar ways, even though they're doing different things. Yeah, no, I so didn't get I, that.
1: She seems to be the ultimate collaborator, in my opinion. Um, and my number one is. Yeah. Um, Viola Davis is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I mean, it's it's not as the Black Bottom, obviously, but as <laughs> in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, as Bottoms. all of Ma Rainey, right? It's all of Ma Rainey, <laughs> every part of her. Um, I couldn't get over just what a force she was, and maybe I was taken by a gimmick. I don't know, but like usually, big boisterous performances like that are just all flash and. I saw so much depth in her flash, so I was. I, I'm still in all of that performance.
0: She was my favorite part of that movie. Absolutely. It wasn't a movie I I loved overall. Sure, sure. And I and I really struggle with whether it's a lead role or a supporting <laughs> me role. Me too. Me too. <laughs> me too. It's because it's, it's a it's a weird it's a weirdly structured movie. I I struggle
1: um, with whether Chadwick Boseman's part is a lead role or not. You know, it's like
0: oh, well, that's the it's it's his yeah no, it's his movie. Yeah, I mean, I, his, I, his
1: is kind of driving all the conflict, I guess. Um,
0: yeah, but like it's about it's about which way he's gonna go, yeah, like what right, choices exactly. he's gonna make. That's what the movie's true. about. That's yeah. true. Uh, and my number one is Frances McDormand. I thought I thought there was no performance that anchored a movie more than that performance did.
1: I will agree with that. I will. That's all I'll say. I will agree with that. Maybe until you see K. Voidus Ada, but I will agree with that. Okay. All right. So moving on to Best
0: Actor. Best Actor. The nominees are Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins, The Father. Gary Oldman,
1: (laughs) Mank!
0: And Stephen Yun Minari.
1: All right. So who's going to take this
0: home? I I I don't know. Chadwick Boseman, I guess, because yeah. the it's the lifetime achievement award, and he has no more opportunities to get a lifetime achievement award. Yeah, I, sadly, I tragically,
1: kind of, I kind of feel like that's in the bag for him. But I also think there's a very strong Minari push specifically for Stephen Yoon, so he's got a real good shot at that. So it's a fifty fifty split between Boseman and Stephen Yoon. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: But who who should win, in my opinion? And this is nothing against Stephen Yoon or Chadwick Boseman, but I, I I Riz Ahmed to me is the one that should take it home.
0: I thought all five of these were great, honestly. Chadwick Boseman is my least favorite of the five, but that's because I thought his role was the weakest of the five. Yeah, it doesn't fault his performance at all. No, absolutely not. I was not a fan of the way the play was adapted. For the screen, um, I didn't. I thought it was better than of the other major plays uh, adapted for One Night <laughs> Miami and The Father. I thought it was the most successful adaptation, actually, um, of hmm. the three. But I still didn't love it. Just so much of the movie just kind of spins in circles. Um, in the dialogue yeah. and and the big speeches just felt like overwritten and too stagey. Um it It's not his fault at all, I just didn't no, think he no, not at all. I didn't think he had an the best material to work with, so that's a problem, yeah, you know? absolutely. who do you think should take it out of these the I thought the most affecting and controlled performance was Steven Yun for Minari mm. that character could so easily be unsympathetic and Yeah. That he had you understanding where that guy was coming from, like every step of the way. (laughs) You know, I
1: didn't even think for a second that he could be. And then until you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, no, he totally could.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's breaking his family apart. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. So your top five. My top five. It broke my heart to drop both
1: John Magaro from First Cow and Jim Cummings out of the top five broke my heart. I it's couldn't. a crowded field. It's very it's hard. It's very crowded field. Yeah. I mean even Anthony Hopkins after I saw him the father yesterday is great. He's great. He's one of those rare not phoning it in performances. <laughs> he is very good. Yeah. Um my number 5 is Mads Mikkelsen from Another Round. It's very good. Very, very good. Very good. Like I Magaro was in there and then I just could not Deny Matt Mickelson how fucking good he was in that movie.
0: Well, my number five. My number five is Riz Ahmed from Sound of Metal. Oh. Um, uh, maybe the most expressive eyes yeah. uh, in, in, any, in any role. Very, very affecting.
1: Also, my number four is Riz Ahmed from Sound of Metal. His uh, involvement in every moment of that movie. It's, it's amazing. Totally
0: amazing. All right. My number four is Andy Samberg from Palm Springs. Ah,
1: that's so cool. I love that. I he, love that. You know,
0: I re that movie, and it's just like at every moment, he's, he's like, he's got layers to it. It's, you know, it's a comedy. It's a comedy lead role, and that it's like more layered than you expect it to be, and he really makes me feel like some guy who has given up but has like a, a reason for giving up and honestly can't remember his life before he got stuck in this loop. I don't know. Like I just felt yeah. he carried that, you know?
1: Beautifully. Um he was in my yeah. top five for a very long time. Great choice. It's a great role. Yeah. My uh number three is uh Ben Affleck from the way back. Oh. He broke my heart. He broke my heart. Uh, this is a movie that I had in my top ten for a very long time, and best director and best screenplay and best actor. I mean, sure, you can weave in his own personal history that this movie might play off of, but the thing about the way back is that it should be too cheesy that it doesn't work. <laughs> it's a uh, a former high school star who's become an alcoholic because of a tragedy being asked to coach high school basketball at a Catholic school again. This movie should be cheesy as fuck. And it soars on every level. Like, you're watching this movie going, I cannot believe how not cheesy this is. <laughs> <laughs> it broke my heart. It's a beautiful movie, top to bottom, and Ben Affleck is kind of the soul of it. He's uh, amazing. Well. Wow. That's a surprise. I didn't know. I didn't even know this movie existed. Yeah, it's
0: it's on HBO Max still. It might be going away soon, though. You might want to check it out. The Way Back. All right, cool. My number three is Stephen Yun from Minari, as discussed.
1: My number two, Jesse Plemons from I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Ah, yeah. He he was in consideration. Just watching him react to everything as it's happening, that we don't know he knows that it's happening it's pretty phenomenal. I can't, as many problems as I have with the movie, I can't deny
0: it. It was great. There's a lot of internal stuff happening there. Um, my number two is Mads Mickelson from Another Round. Uh, yeah. I, I was surprised. I'd only seen Mads Mickelson in villain roles, um, very kind of cartoony villain roles. I had not seen this side of him, this kind of um, tender underbelly. Uh uh, of him and uh, like he just really took me on a journey um he made me believe that yes drinking alcohol is a great idea like this is <laughs> this is great why don't i drink alcohol all the time this is fantastic oh yeah. shit no this is a bad idea oh yeah that's right like this like the that movie is so seductive um and he's his performance is such a huge part of that, like that he can make you believe <laughs> that this is working. Um And he even has the moment when he realizes, no, I got to jut out. And then he comes right back in. I know. And I, it's like a, right at the one hour mark of that movie. And it's like, oh, where's this going now? Um But yeah, he was such a surprise to me. And um I think it was uh Genevieve Kosky on uh, The Next Picture Show who, pointed out like every line on his face points downward <laughs> like there's oh my god. <laughs> he's this guy such a downward cast to him. She's she's very in, she's like in very insightful about these very specific details. Yeah. Uh she's very observant. Um I love listening to her. Uh and it's true. Um like his face and what he's feeling just like during that opening dinner when he's listening to the other ones talk. Yeah. Like it's great acting. Where it's just like watching somebody listen to other people talk and And how it all registers with them. John Carroll Lynch. Mm. (laughs) Uh, That one just kind of, I've used the expression before, but it burned into my brain. Like it really stuck with me. Um, The way that he
1: shields himself from the hurt of all the parents telling him, we don't want, we're not comfortable with you teaching our children because you're too strict. They're not going to get opportunities later. And then the way he can't handle, the way he can't hide his pain from his wife. Those two, th- I just, just—they're ama- he, he's amazing. He's just amazing.
0: It's really good. Yeah. So have you given us your number two or are we up to number one?
1: Uh, I gave my number two as Jesse Plemons. Okay. My number one is Delroy Lindo.
0: Delroy Lindo part. to Five Bloods. I mean, how the
1: fuck is he not nominated? I
0: honestly can't remember being more <sighs> flabbergasted. Yeah, that someone didn't get nominated, much less like I, I, I thought it was in the bag when I saw this. Like, yeah, well, a-
1: everyone thought it was. Everyone's in
0: the bag. playing for second place after that,
1: right? Is it? It made me wonder. Is like, is there something? Did he piss people off? Is he? Is is there something? Is there a personality problem? What's going on? Is it on? the MAGA because hat? The, I think it's the MAGA hat. Is, is it, I, I do. I think it's just they're not... People are like, I can't celebrate that
0: right now. It's not celebrating it. But yeah. But it's, it's not. No, it isn't. It's such... It's a Spike Lee movie for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> But I mean, that's what I—that's like the amazing thing yeah. about it—is his performance and the script and the direction. It's like so honest and raw and open, yeah. And like dares to sympathize with this guy that he—you know—he's—he's he, he's coming from a place of trauma. That—that that this is the result if you traumatize someone badly enough. Then this is the result you you can get, uh, you know yeah. that that he spends the rest of his life flashing out and and the Mega Hats like just one expression of that.
1: You right, know? Exactly.
0: I I listened I meant to look up the name before this podcast. I listened to this interview with um this guy that was a right wing troll. He was like friends with Baked Alaska and he's since like convert like seen the light and now he's like trying to deprogram the right wing trolls essentially. Um uh-huh. But in this interview, he talked about how so many it's of these people. Going to be a thing we all need to do. yeah. This, this, so many of the people he was trolling with, um, his fellow shit posters, like that they were coming from places of trauma, and you know they were mostly right. white, but that's a common element. And I think for for this movie and this role to like recognize that, that's one thing. And then just how like fiery and pained. Um, the performance is like it, it was. It was the yeah. it was the number one performance of the year. I, I really don't uh, understand down. how it's not nominated. It's unreal to me right. that it wasn't recognized. It, what comes close to it? <laughs> it was almost. It was almost like
1: this isn't fair. So we should just ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair that he was that good. I mean, for fuck's sake. I mean. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, I mean the the whole MAGA movement, for all its ex- all its things, the seductive quality is it in it is to say, you were wronged, you were hurt, and I can get that back for you. Yeah. So of course, this person who has severe PTSD, severe trauma, severe all this stuff would gravitate towards that. It's it's. And to explore that as a black yeah. man, as a as a as a veteran, as a it's very it's potent and necessary. And so, yeah, the, the fact that he's not nominated makes me uh, question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's in the that's just in the bag.
0: So, what was your number one? <laughs> Ray Lindo, to Five Bloods. I-
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, there's no yeah. no question. Yeah. No, I, I can't tell you how many times I watched, I reround and watched the scene where he's on that boat in the city um when the he gets triggered by the guy keep asking him to we'll buy We'll be chains. talking
0: about that in a little bit. All right. You watch
1: and now, a word from Christopher Nolan. A breakthrough in my process, no matter what I get respect, tenant it's about inversion, objects traveling back through time, but used by people who are not. Oh, that's so cool. I mean cerebral. But it falls apart When thought about at all But when the audience sees People walking backwards While other people Are walking forwards They'll have their minds blown I'm Chris Nolan Can't make it clear Try to comprehend it It's not faulty logic You just have to feel it I think I'll make a scientist Say don't Try to understand This singing in front of I'm Chris Nolan To go out to the movies to see tenet in theaters. But I want to let the and die or pass the virus on to
0: others.
1: It needs the big screen and here's why seen after. Talks to countless people Who tell him to talk To even more people This is the, the Big, big screen. I'm Chris Nolan Does this exposition, exposition Affect the story? You expect much of me So I guess I'm sorry? The talking scenes Just make the action scenes Seem more grown up. Uh. Oh, Jeez, all this time, we thought you actually knew oh, what you were doing. I risk your life to save my mind! I'm prisoner of love. Why do you
0: continue to do out of here wade we got to pick up the energy here buddy we're dragging Some come on of my energy Some we're the, of my energy? we're hitting the, <laughs> the home stretch here this is exciting <laughs> well let's go on to our a, another new category best
1: cast i like to appreciate the thing as, as a whole so or uh, rather the the talent assembled and when there's so much talent assembled in one place it needs to be recognized so line number five Might be a surprise because of how down we've talked about it, but it's The Trial of Chicago 7. It is a great cast. It's a great assemblage of talent who do pretty good work throughout the whole thing. So that's my number five. Okay,
0: cool. I was not getting fireworks, many fireworks, (laughs) uh, off of the cast in that particular assemblage, I got to say. So it's not sniff my list. My number five is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It's not a deep Mm. cast. I'm really talking about that top four, but that top four is so great. Um, Tony Collette, David Thewlis, we talked about them, the two leads. They're just they're so much fun watching them work.
1: Yeah, it really is. Good choice. My number four is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. There's it's I early on in the year I had four of those actors in in award categories because they're all really good. We have a huge barking dog outside that I've never heard before in my life.
0: <laughs> uh, I did not put anything in the list if it had a uh, a major <clears throat> weak spot in the in the cast, and I really did not like uh, the producer guy. <laughs> he, I guess I won't say his name, but the producer character, that performance really irritated me. I thought the studio owner guy was okay, but the the preening, the, the way he's kind of like hopping around after her and yeah, my Ma rainy, my Ma rainy. I don't know. I just <laughs> I, I, he irritated me a lot. I did not like his performance. <laughs> Bad cast. Remember, sorry, yeah. you dragged the you whole ship down. You react to what you react to. My number four <laughs> is one night in Miami with four great leads. Hard to hard to even know um who to place above the others. I thought they were all great and uh they all played off really well. And so I uh that's my number 4.
1: Oh, that's actually what I probably should have put there. That that was a stellar cast. I mean every every one of them. I really I really enjoyed that cast. Yeah, that's probably what I should have swapped out.
0: Actually. <laughs> my number 3 Is a promising young woman. It's good cast. It's good cast. It's good good cast. Even a little stunt casting with McLovin showing up in the grown-up McLovin role. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, what I really, what I, the directorial choice to cast in it it didn't have the same effect as, like, say, the informant where they cast all comedians and you could tell this is a thing. And I'm not even sure why they're doing this. (laughs) I know he had a reason, but it didn't land as well as here. Like, (laughs) I felt like. She cast in all these roles, in the, both the, the male perpetrators and the female enablers, she cast all comedians and comic actors. So any follower of like Veep or Superbad or any, of these, or any regular watcher of TV and movies ha- comes with a built-in like, uh, likeness. Like, like, like they're, oh, I, I like seeing this person. I love this person. I love when they're in stuff. So we automatically have a built-in unwillingness to see them in that light. Which is what everyone seems to have when a promising young boy is accused of something, and we don't want to ruin his future. We already built in to like go, you know, really is that is that what he's doing? I don't know. You know, we already got that resistance to the truth. I thought that was a very well done.
0: I thought um, the fretboy boy friend at the. Uh, bachelor Party, who, like, helps him. Like, hey, bro, this is not your fault. Oh, yeah, Max Greenfield? Yeah, yeah. he was, uh, his bro sneer yeah. was pretty great. So fans of New
1: Girl would certainly <laughs> uh, okay. pick up
0: on him, yeah. I, I I, I didn't know him.
1: And not enough is said about Bo Burnham, actually. I think he's really great in that movie and is really kind of he a was. heartbreaker. Yeah. Breaks your heart when you're kind of like, going, oh, he's, he's complicit, too. Of course he is. And then you realize all the things that he said along the way, you're like, yeah, he was dancing around that the whole time. Uh, but yeah, he's, yeah, he was really, really good. And he again, he made my, I think, third favorite movie of a few years back, Eighth Grade. Oh, he made Eighth Grade? He wrote and directed Eighth Grade.
0: Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. It's a good movie. Good movie. Okay, my number three for best cast is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. was just... Mm. Uh, it, like you, you think of a great cast. You think of even the bit parts are really memorable yeah. and really uh, ring out. And uh, that was true of of that cast, top to bottom. Lots of uh, little great parts. The big parts. Uh, Jim Cummings. Um, you didn't talk about him enough as an actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. Robert Forster, Ricky Linholm. We did talk about. Yeah, it's really good. I am very surprised that that's not in my list for some reason. <laughs> Because I
1: feel the same way. It's a crowded it's a field, the it's, it is a very yeah. crowded field, my number two is uh, "Bloody Nose Empty Pockets," a movie that I'm not. As I said, I'm not sure how I feel about being duped into think,
0: thinking it was a documentary. <laughs> the Blair Witch Project of right. tavern well, hangouts,
1: right? Exactly. But even when you erase that, just appreciate the fact that these were all people who were assembled. And never met each other before, and they all felt like they hung out together every night that that really kind of blew me away cool like I kept thinking, how could they be getting this footage if it's not staged and then you realize, oh they're getting it because it is staged okay, great okay so it's fictional all right, but how did does it feel so real <laughs> because they are talking a lot about their their own real lives in a lot of the instances so that's that's it's pretty awesome. Nice,
0: my number two is Minari. Uh, just delightful. Mm. Everybody. Uh, we didn't talk about the guy who plays Paul, uh, whose name right. I don't have. Will, Will Patton. Will Patton. He was, you know, he was great. Uh, his characterization, um, the, like the, the dad at the sleepover, the kids, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody like, Stephen Great Jung, cast. The, the woman who plays his wife and
1: the, the, the their mom and the kids. Yeah, they're all. Yeah. They're all full phenomenal.
0: Of, full of memorable characters.
1: My number one um, is I care a lot. Hmm. I love that cast top to bottom. It's it's. I mean, uh, Rosamund Pike is just a for. She's she's incredible. She's I really, really dug her performance. Um, Peter Dinklage when he shows up, it's just tons of, it's it starts to veer cartoon, but it's so much fun. And Chris Messina in particular is playing a role that I don't know he. It's closer to his birds of prey character than most <laughs> I've seen him do, but he's <laughs> great as the sleazy criminal lawyer who comes in who isn't not nearly as good as he thinks he is, but he's just been backed by threat by so much that threat usually works <laughs> and it's 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 those scenes are so
0: much fun yeah he's a it's a great cast, nice well, my number one is. What was a very exciting cast on paper, and then it paid off even better than I expected it to, was The Father, um, oh. where we both love Olivia Colman. I'm a huge Mark Gattis fan. Yeah, yeah, me too. I was really happy to see there. Olivia Williams, who yes. I love her from Rushmore, and uh, I always want to see her in Sixth Sense. I always want to see her in more stuff. Um, Imogen Poots, Yes. It was from Green Room, which uh, one of my favorite movies of the last decade. Um, yes. And then it all, uh, and then Anthony Hopkins, who uh, you you said he'd been phoning it in lately. Like, I, I haven't forgiven him for mailing it in with Odin. I don't think even think he <laughs> mailed it in. He like scratched it on a napkin and rolled it up and threw it at me. Like, it was, he has so much contempt for that role that I felt insulted that he took it. And, and, uh, and he was great um, mm. So it was just nice uh, It was nice seeing that Work out yeah. In practice From paper to uh, reality <laughs> Without being scrunched up and thrown at me
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was, that was a really strong cast
0: Next up, Best Director And the nominees are Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round David Fincher, Mank Lee
1: Isaac Chung, Minari Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, and Emerald—not Emerald. Bam, uh, Emerald Fennel for promising young woman.
0: <laughs> I saw all five of these. I was Woo-hoo! good. I was good this year. Good. City. And uh, I, I got to say, it was a good crop of nominees. Like, no, nothing here that made me mad. Um, a little. I mean, David Fincher is a great director. This is one of his worst movies, in a sense. Um, but his also direction was also really good. I just, there's yeah. some really dumb choices in here, so it annoyed me. But anyway, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever. It's not a surprise to see him here. Yeah, it was not a surprise at all. So who do you think
1: is 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 locked to win this? Who do you anticipate?
0: They're gonna give it to Fincher. Yeah. Hollywood love letter. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fap fap fap. Don't bring that in
1: here. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Because <laughs> I want to talk. <laughs> when you say it, now I figure, yeah, it's probably going to be that. I, I kind of consider him to be the upset. Um, I pretty much thought it would go to Chloe's Zhao for No Man Land. But, uh, and then with Fincher as a, as a possibility to spoil that. But you're probably right. It's probably going to go to Fincher. Although my personal opinion is that uh, I'd give it to Emerald Fennel. For promising, I mm. that's who I I think should win. I mean, I mean Chloe. I mean, I think Chloe Zhao, Zhao should win too, uh, as well.
0: <laughs> I want them all to be winners. My dark horse would be uh, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Mm. I agree yeah. that Chloe Zhao would be a strong choice, but I also imagine I don't know. Here's where I turn very cynical, and I'm like, well, that's not real movie making. You just shoot it like a documentary. You just get a bunch of. People to be themselves, and that's not real. That's not ship. <laughs> and Lee Isaac Chung be? just feels like more familiar as like conventional filmmaking, and so they'd go that route. But I don't know. Um, uh, Lee Isaac Chung did not make my top five as much as I as much as I wanted him to, mm. but he didn't get in there. But I will tell you my number five. Okay, tell me. Going into five. it. My number five is Eliza Hittman for Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Very restrained, very reserved, but um, extremely economical. And just like perfect control of tone and like where your point of view should be from the first frame to the last frame. Um, And just captivating. It just like completely kept kept me completely riveted and completely... um, Ew. in the in the world of, of the movie. It never never one choice that ever ever pulled me out of what was going on right. or made me question it. Uh, I thought it was uh, perfect perfect filmmaking. Mm. Not flashy, um, but it didn't yeah, yeah. need flash. It didn't need no. anything more. She could have been higher, um, but I, I put her at number five. What's your number five?
1: Yasmila Zabonik for C- Quoted Oh. "If I'm not, if I'm saying yeah. saying that word right, yeah, you're." She, uh... she moves this briskly along, makes all her points. It's a really affecting. I, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to spoil too much for anyone. Uh, so, uh, but if you can't check it out because it just became available for rental just recently, when the nominations were announced, it wasn't even available, and now it is. So, um, check it out. She she's got a, a very very strong command of both space, action, tone, and keeping focus on her on her overall point. Everything's stemming from there. So it's really quite a consummate job.
0: Cool. Well, my number four is Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Um, I, I don't know if I can think about like a more difficult form of storytelling to do than to do something that episodic. I think I've already said it's mm. like a quilt um, yeah. Quilted together, but it's just an assemblage of stuff, and none of it has to. A lot of it doesn't have to happen in any particular order, and that mm. sounds like an editing thing. But what was I was impressed me about the direction is I never questioned why I was being shown what I was being shown. Like it all right. just made sense, um, you know, pictorially, and uh, how it was part of Fern's journey and. Um, I don't know. I thought it was incredible that the the, feet, the direction of the actors that you could take these non actors and get these great natural performances out of them that never they never felt like non actors. That's right. Uh, it, Same it, thing
1: with the with the writer. It's truly incredible.
0: Yeah, they're, they're all using their real names except yeah. for Francis, and apparently Fern is like a nickname she gave herself at some point. Okay, <laughs> so um, maybe her own alter ego. And it just uh what it really made me think about was, uh, I've heard someone say, "I think it was about Vim Venders, and this movie reminded me of Vim Venders a lot, absolutely. and uh, the observation that the best movies about America are made by those who didn't grow up in America, who That's just have like really a true. different way of looking at the landscape, like the the fact that the land here is just so weird <laughs> and varied and, and big and open. And there's um, also
1: so much that we take for granted culturally that just is invisible to us, I think, in, to most uh, most cultures. And then someone from the outside is like, why do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so That's it was great. Amazing. And
0: then uh, just as I was thinking, it reminded me of Vim Vendors, there's um, Francis McDormand defecates uh, in the movie, just like in Kings of the Road, except you don't see it come out. So they didn't have the courage
1: <laughs> to do a real poop well, on screen. Yeah. That
0: guy didn't have a bucket, yeah. uh, apparently. So uh, that's my number four, Chloe Chow. Lovely,
1: lovely. Uh, my number four is Thomas Vintenberg for another round. Uh, uh, yes. This guy, what I can't figure out, a lot of movies will can lead you down to a point and then unfold the movie for you and then uh, at the point where the characters would get it or whatever then you're like, oh, that's the, isn't that amazing? Let the point and the themes kind of wash over you. But he lands it really early in the film with, I think a lesser director would have like Dumbo playing in the background the whole time and people talking about the magic feather. You didn't need the magic feather all along. <laughs> You know, but like he lands it pretty early with the idea that there's a, there's just one thing they're not considering is that it's not the alcohol that's leading to this. It's the alcohol that's letting down their their usual inhibition to living. And then if they just didn't have that inhibition to parts of their life, then they would be much happier. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and so it's not the alcohol. It's the inhibition. It's that uh, that is really what they should be focusing on. And so, like, they land that real early, and then I don't know how it doesn't get tiring after a while through, for, for the rest of the movie, because it's... Yeah, and and th- just the sensitivity to all areas of each of their lives, especially Mads Mikkelsen's, is just so moving.
0: So, yeah, he's my number four. My number three is Jim Cummings for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Woo! We... We both feel similarly, I think, that we tend to uh, reward directors highly who successfully mix tones in challenging and unusual ways, and uh, that certainly happens here. And uh, just uh, an audacious piece of storytelling, lots of visual tricks going on, and it all works really great. And it does the um, magic trick. This is both the, the success and the failure of it. Failure in that... Um, if I was supposed to recognize Paul Cannery in that last yeah. scene, I sure did not. And I fault Jim Cummings, the director for that. Right. Um, but he also pulled the magic trick that it didn't matter to me at the moment. Like, it didn't bother me at all that I was just meeting this guy for the first time or that, duh, people would know he's tall. It's not that big right, a town. right.
1: Not that big a town.
0: <laughs> but he pulled the magic trick, so... It worked worked great. So he's my number three.
1: Excellent. That makes me so very happy. (laughs) Uh, My number three is Josephine Decker for Shirley. Ah. For all the reasons that I've said before, every moment of the movie feels made by a filmmaker <laughs> that sounds very basic but uh, <clears throat> uh facile but it's very it's so true it's like i can feel her hands touching every bit of it and putting it together with each purpose and she's got a masterful command of every element of this process and it shows in her product so she's
0: my number three nice my number two is Charlie Kaufman for? I'm thinking of ending things. Ooh. I I think he shows himself here in this example. In this instance, I think he's a much stronger director even than a screenwriter. I think the the if there's a flaw in this movie, and we both think to there, varying degrees, there is. I think it's more in the script. I think uh, the direction is brilliant, keeping me engaged in those two long car rides, like 40 minutes of riding in a car. Mm-hmm. Is such a feat of direction kept me on my heels the entire time, uh, and then the stuff in the farmhouse, and this is on the ending. So much brilliance gets pulled <laughs> off in that movie, uh, and uh, he had me on a line. He had the hook sunk deep into me on that <laughs> one. So great job, Charlie Kaufman. Number two. Uh,
1: my number two is Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. She's, I, I don't even think I need. I, feel like a broken record, you know, on all these things, but <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that auteurism is a necessity to be to being a great director, but in this, uh, just assuming how collaborative the whole medium is, but like she as writer director has put forth what has to be the conversation piece of film for this year and an important one and has done so without being garish or it doesn't feel like trauma porn as as i've said before um the, the 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 power of this decision to not only make the character's face what it is they do but make the audience face this is what we do but i uh i push back on any notions that things are done just to subvert expectations or to uh deny any uh thing I don't think uh the thing was made to be cruel to the audience in in any way it's a complete piece start to finish of its what it's trying to say uh what it's trying to give you the experience of and then accomplishing that in the end it's it's one of those endings that people will debate well I don't think this is a victory it shouldn't have been victorious and then other people say well I don't think this should have been a such a tragedy ending isn't the point to be victorious and like no one can decide. <laughs> Everyone's having their own experience with what that ending means to them and, and 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 also what they're afraid it says to others. For me personally, I thought the, the, the story, her journey, Cassie's journey, was um an important one to see.
0: Okay. Um uh, We'll debate that another time. Number one. I'm not saying Cassie's journey wasn't important to see. That's the department that I'm going to debate. My number one um, is Josephine Decker for Shirley. Ah. For every reason you said, I will just highlight the camera angles in particular. I kept realizing Mm. during the movie, like, it's it's a really great looking movie. This is not the camera angle I would expect in this for this shot and it and it's beautiful and it's brilliant, you know? And it just kept doing that. Like yeah. she kept finding a new angle on things. Like literally just the 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 choice of camera angles alone would have gotten her number one, I think, for me. Because it was the most striking right like you said, it's like it's very painterly. It's a very painterly movie. Like it really feels like somebody hand painted every every frame of it in a way. Yeah. Um yeah, gorgeous piece of filmmaking. We'll t- I, not the last time. I'll be mentioning uh, Shirley. And <laughs> Happiness all around. <laughs> <laughs> and your number one? Uh, oh, all my know. number one! I forgot. I, I was looking ahead one. at
1: the other. Yeah, we all know. We all know. It's um, it's uh, Kenneth she, Branagh for Artemis Fowl.
0: <laughs> Actually, I, 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 I you should kind not of brought have brought the Shakespeare back into it. I shouldn't have know. used
1: the best director category to make a dig about Artemis Fowl because I love Branagh. And I I felt for him through that process. His direction so, sucked, bro. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but yeah, my number one is is most definitely Jim Cummings for the Wolf of Wall It's a mastery of tone. It's a mastery of construction. It's a mastery of how how to write, produce, make a film, and also and this is this is something that comes through on the screen. A relentless, inspiring positivity about making movies.
0: Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh,
1: yeah. You, you, that's kind of I'm looking more at his his online presence of like looking at just little video posts that he does about creativity and about filmmaking and his his uh, pushing other people and supporting other people in their uh, projects and, and 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 encouragement. But you look at his work and you just see this it's not a destructive passion it's not like some sick it's not like something that, that comes from some weird uh need it comes from a just a joy a passion to do this and it it's infectious and i i love everything about him and his uh in his movies it's it's uh, number one With a
0: silver bullet, (laughs) he does make movies uh, that are a gas. It's like this is gonna, you know, Uh, yeah. He's got he's got that Tarantino energy without being a complete dick about it, (laughs) or even a partial dick uh, that I've seen. He
1: just seems like a cool guy. But I did want to give a particular shout out to Gavin O'Connor for The Way Back, Mm. who was had been in my best director slot for that's that basketball movie. Yeah, in a way, it's like if Hoosiers took place now and Dennis Hopper was, Dennis Hopper's character was in Gene Hackman's position. Hmm. It's a movie that just soars. It is hard not to think while watching it. I can't believe this isn't cheesy. (laughs) Like I'm loving every second of it and it's moving in, in, in in every way. So like, I want to give him a special shout out.
0: All right. Well, now we're going to do a couple of our special categories to round out this segment of, Our Oscars preview, first best set piece. Wade, what is a set piece? I
1: think a classic example would be the airport battle in Captain America Civil War. There's this start and finish moment Mm -hmm. that seems elevated above everything else. Right,
0: the part of the movie that you kind of build your story up to. Right. Um, whether it's the climax or not, like it's it's the thing that's going to be in the promotional materials. Right. It's the thing you're going to like in, invest heavily in the, in the budget. <laughs> well, um, those qualities don't
1: factor into my choices at all. But
0: <laughs> one one but scene you will expect are to just yeah. spend a week or two shooting. Uh, right. It's it's spe- it's special focus goes
1: for production and and viewership really. It's like yeah. I would think Tenant would expect to have its uh, highway sequence. Uh, where it goes with, uh, never mind. I'm too bored of Tenet to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even describe the scene. <laughs> I'm so bored of it. But yeah, that you could tell. They were like, this is the set piece that you got to go to the theater and see, man.
0: And yeah, you know, whatever. But yeah, um, let's talk about good ones. So let's talk yeah, about let's talk our about top good. five. How about your uh, number five for best set piece of 2020? My number five
1: is the final scene from I'm Thinking of Inicent Things, which is the the Oklahoma performance.
0: Oh, yeah, that is totally a set piece. I, yeah. Wow, I love that, and I didn't think of it.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, whew, like, as long as you start it right after that stupid animated pig <laughs> and don't think about that part, it's, it's amazing. It culminates the whole movie into something that <laughs> is essentially a performance of a Broadway musical song in utter high school stage format. It's great. It's fantastic.
0: Nice. Okay, my number five is uh, the opening night of The 40-Year-Old Virgin, the version, yeah. opening night of the show, which, uh, that whole thing, um, when you actually see the play and the way it's staged and the performance (laughs) of it and the way the audience is reacting to it, it's it's so great. It's such... Such a layered satire, mm-hmm. and it's very funny, and uh, I, I, I I like that a lot. So that's my yeah. number five.
1: Good one. My number four is was one of your earlier choices in another list, is the escape from the house from The Invisible Man. The oh, opening, okay. Yeah. The opening yeah. scene of her executing her long gestating plan to escape from that house, and a plan that she couldn't tell anybody about which was evident when the car shows up. Right. Yeah, so good. So tense. so And sets sets up everything for the movie that follows perfectly. Beautiful.
0: Cool. Okay, my number four is the final celebration from Another Round. The ah. big. Another Round for me is all about... But I realized watching it, like, oh, they wanted Oblivion all along. Oblivion... In a bad way, like there's, there's a self-destructiveness, there's a um, just wanting to not be growing old anymore. But then at the end, like you see the good kind of oblivion. Like that's that's what that ending hall says to me. It's about completely mm-hmm. letting go. It's about completely releasing. I would agree with
1: that part. I was going to say I'm going to disagree with you on this part. I've looked at it as more of a letting go and embrace of life rather than just oblivion. But... Yeah, well that's it's interesting. It's an interesting take on that. So, that's my number 4. Cool. My number 3 is the opening scene, the opening bike ride from The Climb. Oh. Didn't see that one. The Climb was started as a short film which they then expanded into a feature. And the first scene, the opening bike ride is essentially the short film that they reshot. But it is a incredible piece of uh it's a one shot of these two guys biking up a hill and then coming down the hill, and then the whole process, their entire lives change. But their friendship, despite horrid revelations terr- <laughs> and hilariously done, um, their friendship is weirdly intact, even though it's uh, uh, everything's changed. It's an
0: amazing piece of uh, piece of work. Cool. Well, my number three is the wedding reception from Palm Springs. Nah. Now, we spent a yeah, lot of time one? there over and over again. So you, you I, I could just consider all the wedding receptions as one big set <laughs> right, piece. Right, right. They probably spent a month just shooting all those. Um, but you could just, if I had to, I could just take the first time we see it. Before we know, like it's setting up yeah. the, the, the time loop thing before we know. It's kind of revealing it to us. Even if this never became a time loop movie, I would have loved Yeah. That it was it was it was just hilarious and bright and fun and joyous and goofy and uh, and it's got my favorite shot of the year in it. So yeah, that's uh, that's my that's my number three. That's lovely. Uh, my
1: number two is the ending confrontation in um, the Wolf of Snow Hollow. That whole oh, the, you, you you could okay. take it from the moment he shows up at the house to deliver, return the thing, because it all builds off of that. But certainly from when he's standing outside the house and then turns around, dumps the spiked coffee, and knocks on the door again and asks him to stand at full height to the fade-out with the uh, fireworks. That whole sequence, uh, yes, it's an action sequence, it's a climax, but when he gets stabbed, when Jim Cummings is lifted up on the wall and all Lang Syne is playing... I cry. I start blubbering every time I'm doing it now. <laughs> I start crying when he's getting stabbed and I'm like, how is this doing this to, to me? Uh, it just shows how, how wrapped up I am in everything. Um, hmm. and so the feelings that you have after all that are so complicated and um, rich. It's, it's amazing. I love that sequence so
0: much. Cool. My number two is the ending, the climactic dinner scene from Mank. Ah. It feels, it's successful in that it feels bigger than it is. When I went back and read uh, Mank's dialogue, the monologue from it, like, I didn't think it was written all that great, <laughs> to be honest. But but Gary Oldman delivering it and everyone's reaction to it and the, the, the grandiosity of the moment, like the big drama of the moment, like all made it work. And it's like, yes, this is what this movie's about. Don't go showing me newsreels of Orson <laughs> Welles after this. That's not what. Right. That's not the story you're telling. You dope. <laughs> I completely agree. Just, yeah, I just forget. I that. I was loving
1: that scene, and then for some reason, it lost me somewhere in it. I was like, this, this should have been.
0: This is going on too long. I wonder if I rewatched it, if I would feel the same way. But at the time, I was like, okay, that worked. That's what this movie should have been. More of this. And
1: that's. It, yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at it going. This is when. Like, I, as I've said it before, i say it again, Mank is banging on all, all cylinders when it's really rooted in his, when Gary Oldman's, like, uh, righteous anger towards very clear machinations of uh, of how they make, how capitalism is making the government bend society to be capitalists only for certain people, <laughs> you know? In this movie, it's like this is finally where Gary Oldman's done with the snarky asides, and he's going in and attacking. And then after a while, and I think maybe this is part of it. You just you realize, oh wait, you're just a slobbering drunk wandering around being rude at some <laughs> point. You know, that was a great scene. It fell apart for me, and then was picked up again at, when Hearst kind of leads him out. But um, yeah, but yeah, but great that, scene, great choice.
0: Yeah. So we're up to your number one, my number one.
1: Um, I had a hard time choosing between my number one and my number two, but I think, <laughs> you may laugh at me for this, but uh, my number one is From the Wolf of Snow Hollow, <laughs> when the wolf attacks Jen and her boyfriend in the van. Oh, yeah. That scene is, I think, perfect. And yeah, it's a like horror movie attack scene, but... Um,
0: well, it's him coming at the end. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, we're... Makes yeah, it. I mean yeah. for the moment that they're in the car till when Jim Cummings shows up and she gets in his police car, it's it's a marvel. Like um the simple cinematic tricks of hit, uh, of of just that sequence of just the wolf walking around the van and being on the van when he turns the corner. But uh yeah, but my favorite moment of the whole sequence, the scariest moment uh really is when they see the neighbor in the window in the window, and yeah. they just think yep. that someone's calling the cops because they think oh they've caught us making out and then she looks and she's pointing <laughs> she's this is right. so scary <laughs> she's warning them she's not she's not telling on them she's warning them and, uh, that's my favorite <laughs> set piece of the year
0: great um, my number one uh, I change is it. the award ceremony and song from I'm thinking of anything's because that should have been my number oh. one <laughs> So what did you sh- thanks for what reminding did you me of sh- it. I had the, um, the final battle from um, uh, Birds of Prey. Oh, okay. But I already, I already talked about how they took the moment to protect yeah, the, yeah. the girl, which is really my favorite part of it. So, All right. Well, here's a big one. Here's how we're going to close out this segment yes. before we get into best picture. It's best scene. Yes. What were the best scenes? Now here, a lot of things that could have been, uh, if they were single shot scenes, they could have been in best shot. They could've been bet set pieces, but if they were contenders for top five best scene, then I graduated them up here, yeah so i didn't i I didn't want to double dip, so it's a way to spread the love uh, uh yeah. down the list, but here's the big ones here's here's like the five mm just like the things that you're gonna remember from twenty twenty
1: uh it'll be six for me <laughs> I had thirty of these, and i needed i just like just needed six.
0: <laughs> well it sounds like you better start with number six. Um and, and, and I, I will say
1: I only have one repeat on these lists. Because I was doing the same thing, trying to spread that love by only having him appear on one list, but I had one because it's just it's just that important. But my number right. my number six is from Sound of Metal. It's his first day of sitting. His first mm. day of sitting alone in the room with his thoughts. I I could I could see his resistance. And I could see how it would help. It was really beautiful. So then my number five, we'll start legitimately you now. Number five is uh, the Mama May I rap from 40-year-old version. It's when, um, uh, after Radha and Dee spend the night together, and they're just talking the next morning. Oh, yeah. And he asks her why she wears that head wrap. And she talks about her family, and he talks about her family, and then it devolves into them basically freestyle rapping together in Mama May I. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah,
0: that was great. Very tender. Yeah, very tender. Uh, my number five is also from the 40-year-old version. <laughs> it is giving Lamont, the homeless guy, a sandwich. <laughs> oh, right. Which, the last line of that was in my last line uh. Uh, list. And then I went back and watched the scene. I'm like, no, the whole scene is great. <laughs> and her, the way he reacts when he sees... Wait. He, his eyes open, he's got the blanket tucked under his chin. His eyes open and with the plate right in his face, he never looks up at her. He immediately his eyes get big and he grabs a sandwich and starts eating it before he bothers to register like why it's floating before him. Right. <laughs> like, just the timing of that is so funny. Um but then what he says after that, which I won't I won't say, if you haven't seen the 40 year old version, you you really must see it. Uh, on Netflix mm-hmm. and not virgin version it's not a, it's one of my least favorite titles honestly just because you know you google it and you get the 40 year old virgin like it corrects the search right. for you and also she's not 40 she's a few months away from being 40 it was not as bad a bait and switch um, as one night in Miami which takes place over the span of several weeks <laughs> in several different <laughs> geographic locations Uh And nowhere near as bad as the worst title bait-and-switch of all time, Silent Predators, (laughs) the movie about rattlesnakes. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it could have... I thought the movie deserved a better title, but it's such a great movie that uh, you got to see it.
1: Yeah, I I, I struggle with it because it first sounds like it's some sort of pun on that movie, but it it isn't. The title itself... Well, it is. It's a
0: reference, and well, you know, it's a line in one of her raps.
1: Yeah. Well, she's. Like, this is the forty-year-old version of her. Of this is me at forty, and like, and, yeah. And, and but comparing I don't, I don't it think it's... the old. So I, actually, I think the title's pretty perfect for the movie in context of the larger world. It's annoying. Well. Unfortunately, it exists in the world. Unfortunately, it fortunately exists in the world, yeah. But kudos to her to say, you know what? This is the title for my movie. I'm putting it out there. I don't care if search engines don't find it. This is what it is. I'm, <laughs> more power to her, absolutely. But, like, yeah, it does make it hard because the vertical version just rolls off the tongue every time. <laughs> but, yes, everyone see that movie. It's really great.
0: Okay, your number four, best scene. My number four is
1: uh, the campfire scene from Palm Springs. That's my number six. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah Cause I remember there was a time yeah. where you, well, when we did the show, you was like, this is my submission for best written scene of the year. And like, uh, we've seen that it just shows what 2020 has been because there's, there's a lot of great scenes.
0: All of these yeah. other movies I saw after that right. one. Um, but that, that scene did stick yeah. with That's me. A, yeah. It's a fantastic scene. Um, which we can read about in our episode. <laughs> hey. My number four. All all four of my top four could have been number one. Yeah. It was really hard me to too. choose. Me too. Um my number four is the never rarely, sometimes always scene from never rarely, sometimes always. Mm. Just crippling, um, heartbreaking scene. And just the moment like there's the the obvious part of it that's heartbreaking, but like the part that really stabbed me in the heart was the moment where she's offered help and, like, help she desperately needs to accept. Yeah. And she doesn't know that this is the person to trust. Right. You know? Yeah. Just because every time she's reached out for help or something, she's been betrayed or or nobody has genuinely offered to help her. And so, like, and here it is and she desperately needs to accept it. And she doesn't know that she can. She doesn't know that this is the person that she should trust. And, like, where that takes her in the rest of the movie. it's That scene is amazing. Yeah. Um, so that's my number four Beautiful
1: uh, My number f- three Is A visit to HR The gaslighting scene from The Assistant
0: Okay, yeah
1: That scene Well, it's not the movie That's what I think of when I think of that movie Because um, Well, honestly, it's the one It's the one thing in the movie That isn't part of the normal Every day is her actually going to do something about the conditions of the office? Yeah, I think McFadden, I wanted to, in my category that I usually have his best performance in a minor role, um, he would win this category for sure, even though usually that category I have with my own little awards, those are for not like really important roles or pivotal roles for the movie, but just, you know, a, a day player who just happens to be to live with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> but yeah, his gaslighting of her is, and how systemic entrenched it is as a matter of policy and operational structure is terrifying. And it feels so big. And yet he's just being so casual. It's it's a pr- tremendous performance and a
0: soul-crushing scene. I completely see why you're saying all that. I had a real love-hate relationship with the scene. It's actually my least favorite scene in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Cuz it's the only it's the only scene I had anything to question about in uh in, in a great movie. Um and I just like it's it's and it's Matthew McFadden's character where I just didn't he has like a character turn and I didn't I never understood why he turned at the moment he did. Oh. Like why he he changes tack like in the middle of the scene. And I I don't I don't know why. Like I don't know what his I haven't why he changes angle, you know? I haven't seen it in a while, but I never saw that as him changing uh tack.
1: He's not having a change. I kind of feel like Well he stops the gaslighting at, at one point,
0: you know. Did like, he? Why? I don't like, Wow,
1: I have not watched it in a while. It's been on my list forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to go back and look at that, but
0: um, Well you'll tell me where I watched it wrong, so Okay. Um,
1: for another time. <laughs> number... I love I love
0: Matthew McFadden. He's my favorite part of yeah. Succession.
1: I still need to see Succession. I've not seen Succession.
0: My number three is um, Stanley reads the manuscript from Shirley. One shot scene. Just uh. watching Elizabeth Moss's face as behind her. Well, it's mostly there's a there's a cut in it, um, but the shot of her. Yeah. Waiting as her husband reads the manuscript that she's finally written like in the room behind her out of focus and just watching yeah. elizabeth's face elizabeth's face waiting for what he thinks and like how important what he thinks is you know yeah. even though like so much of the movie is about how she's more brilliant than him and he's so insecure about that and and even in the end like he does he does what he does like you find out why there's why they're still together like you right. know the fact right. that she she needs him to see her in a certain way like so badly and how that's written on her face in that scene yeah that i i thought this was going to be my number one uh for a long time it uh that one that one just hammered home for me
1: yeah my number two has already been uh, brought up. It's the the questionnaire scene, the never, rarely, sometimes, always uh, scene from yeah. from there. For all the reasons that you said, I have to confess, in my idiocy, it wasn't until this scene that I knew what the title was referring to. Oh,
0: me neither. I didn't. I wasn't. I had no idea.
1: And as soon as it comes in, usually, and, I, and now that I'm saying this out loud. Usually, when movie titles are spoken in the movie, it's a real chance for eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, like it looks like this was a oh why did why did he murder him just cause or whatever that Jim's <laughs> joke is. <laughs> um, whenever it's, uh, I'm really tired of all these Star Wars. Uh, when they get said, it's it seems like a lead balloon. But yeah, this... why do we have so many
0: secrets and lies? That was a really bad one. <laughs>
1: Yes. When and where should I meet you? Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Brought to you by Party Radio B ninety six. Sorry, I, that's my movie phone go to. <laughs> um, the. <laughs> I don't mean to be laughing at this part, but yeah, the the I never know what it meant, and then when it when it when it's revealed, so much washed over me. But the the thing about what Cindy Flanagan does in that scene, is just the camera on her. Oh, yeah. How oh. we don't know any specifics about her. We weren't told. Things may be hinted. We just watched her maneuver the world. And then as they're asking these direct questions, her reaction to them tells us everything. I
0: know. I know. It's an amazing piece of acting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Everything. Um, we know everything. And it's uh, it's... It's heartbreaking. So yeah, that's my number two for sure.
0: Never Great forget choice. that scene as long as I live. Great choice. Yeah, me neither. Uh my number two is Ruben is asked to leave from Sound of Metal. Mm. Yeah. And that's all. If you haven't seen Sound of Metal, that that's um and that's why Paul Racy, that's gonna be his Oscar yeah. clip. And I hope in his victorious uh, Oscar clip. Um, but um, amazing, amazing scene. Yeah. Amazing performance.
1: Absolutely. Good choice.
0: And my number one is the only one that
1: straddles multiple lists. It's because it is the best scene. It's the you will not, you will not kill Paul monologue from Five Bloods. It's just the best scene. Wow. wow.
0: <laughs> I chose a different scene from Five Bloods, the, ah. the boat anxiety attack.
1: Oh yeah, uh, yeah. For
0: me, that's the that's the thesis statement of of the movie. You know, I see ghosts. We all do. That's the trauma. That, it's not just PTSD specifically; it's trauma generally. Um, the damage that happens to people, um, what they can't shake, and how it just the the harm just perpetuates. The violence just perpetuates. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, that's the scene. What I. For, never forget about that
1: scene is the way Delroy Lindo when he says I see ghosts man and I said like, we all see ghosts and then the way that he says you see him too the way he says it he's verbally acknowledging what was just spoken but he he hasn't heard it you know mm-hmm. it's it's like like it hasn't dawned on him that this that this experience is a shared experience it hasn't it hasn't it hasn't sunk into him yet you know Like he's just so in his own trauma that, that, that haunts me, that haunts me.
0: (laughs) It's also the other elements of the cast, the other members of the cast um, that I think, frankly, are kind of wasted in the movie and not given enough to do. Like this is their, the moment for the ensemble to shine. Yeah, uh, it really is. Is is the dynamics in that scene. So that's my great choice. That's my number one. completely essential scene.
1: Wow. Some really great. Great work
0: movies. <laughs> it was a good year for
1: movies. <laughs> Cuz I got I got tons of I got just got tons of scenes that I had listed that I'm not going to go through. Well, but, well, um, in our
0: next episode where we will run through ranking all the pictures from 2020 that we saw up until <laughs> now until we give what we say should have been the top 8 nominees for Best Picture for the 93rd Annual Academy Awards also known as the Oscars for 2020, on You and ordered It, Ron. Let's wait and see. See you there. You watched it from